One of my former seminary professors, Dr. John Davis, spent many years in Jordan doing archaeological work. During one of those visits to Jordan, he spent a week living with a Bedouin shepherd named Muhammad Yassin, who owned 75 sheep and 30 goats. It was a hard life, requiring constant care for those sheep. In ancient times, the shepherds often signed an annual agreement with the owner. At the end of the year, the shepherd would give an accounting of the sheep, and any sheep that died of natural causes during that year would be skinned. Those skins would be presented to the owner as proof that the shepherd had not neglected the flock. If the shepherd lost a sheep and was unable to find it, or the sheep was stolen, then the shepherd was required to replace it from his own pocket. The concept of a shepherd and his sheep is an underlying theme throughout the Bible, but especially in these last few chapters of Zechariah. Jacob called God shepherd in Genesis 49.24, and David, of course, wrote a hymn of praise to God as his shepherd in Psalm 23. Jesus used the same imagery to apply to himself as the good shepherd in John 10. Sheep are great pictures of the people of God. Sheep are timid, def defenseless, and dumb. They are prone to wander away into terrible messes. Sheep are a picture of Israel in the Old Testament, and they are a picture of Christians today. That is why we need a good shepherd. Zechariah focuses on the theme of the good shepherd, borrowed from David in Psalm 23. The Lord is our shepherd. That's the title that Dr. James Montgomery Boyce gives to his sermon on this passage in Zechariah. Zechariah tells us in chapter 10, that the people of Israel at this time were wandering like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd, Zechariah 10.2. God is angry with the human shepherds who had abused his sheep. God is the good shepherd who will shepherd his sheep in times of distress. So Zechariah expresses Four truths about our good shepherd in Zechariah 9, 14 through 10, verse 12. Truth number one is that the shepherd delivers his sheep. The shepherd delivers his sheep. Zechariah 9, verses 14 to 17. Earlier in chapter 9, we studied how God delivered his people by the hand of Alexander the Great and then through the hands of the Maccabees, who fought the Greek kings. Now in these verses, we see how God is going to deliver his people in the end times when he returns to this earth. All our other deliverances are just reflections, or foretastes, pictures of the good shepherd's great deliverance which is coming one day. Because he delivers us by his power. Then the Lord will appear over them, Zechariah writes, 
and his arrow will go forth like lightning, and the Lord God will blow the trumpet and will march in the storm winds of the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them, and they will devour and trample on the sling stones, and they will drink and be boisterous as with wine, and they will be filled like a sacrificial basin, drenched like the corners of the altar. Israel's shepherd is going to appear over them one day in triumph. This time he will, he will come not on a donkey, he will come on a war horse. He will come not in humility, but in power. He will be the king they expected but rejected, returned to lead them to victory. The trumpet is the shofar, which was the ram's horn used to signal a call to war or a call to celebration. And here it is both. Our God reigns and invites his people to enjoy the victory celebration. The jubilation of Jerusalem will be unlimited as they enjoy the fruits of Messiah's victory. The last expression of verse 15 probably refers to the bowls of sacrificial blood which were poured out on the base of the altar. The point is that their cup of celebration will be full and running over with the victory of our Lord. But not only does he deliver them by his power, but he delivers us as his jewels in verses 16 and 17. And the Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they are as the stones of a crown sparkling in his land. For what comeliness and beauty will be theirs! Grain will make the young men flourish, and new wine the virgins. Artists like to paint the picture of the good shepherd carrying a wounded and broken sheep on his shoulders. Carrying a sheep in Palestine looks romantic, as it is draped over the shoulders of the shepherd. But there is nothing romantic about it at all. Sheep are dirty, smelly, and flies buzz constantly around the sheep and the head of the shepherd as he carries the sheep on his shoulders. Yet those dirty, smelly sheep are precious to the shepherd. Those sheep are you and me, my friends. The sheep are depicted as jewels in Christ's crown, gems to be cherished. The sheep are beautiful and precious to the shepherd who saves them. That's how God looked at Israel, and that is how Christ looks at you and me. He does not see you as a worthless sheep, but as precious jewels. He does not see you for what you are, but what he can make you to become. The nation of Israel was certainly a defenseless and rebellious flock of sheep. Yet God promises that they will become jewels in his crown one day. Jesus Christ gave his life as the good shepherd that we might be sheep saved for eternity. Sheep are valuable, and the modern shepherd may give his life for his sheep. 
One writer tells how a modern shepherd died fighting three robbers who literally hacked him to pieces with their knives in order to steal a few sheep. Dr. Davis tells of how his friend Muhammad Yassin found the remains of a shepherd who was shot while defending his sheep. Yes, yes, the Lord will deliver his flock one day, but the shepherd must die for his sheep first. Jesus Christ died that we might live. Do you know the shepherd who died for you? You too, like Israel, are valuable to God. He wants to make you into precious jewels for his crown. He came to deliver you from all of your messes. Will you trust him with your life today? Truth number two about our good shepherd is the shepherd provides for his sheep. He provides for his sheep. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. I mean, what good is a shepherd if he doesn't provide for the needs of the sheep? And our good shepherd provides true prosperity in verses 1 and 2. Ask rain from the Lord at the time of the spring rain. The Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain, vegetation in the field to each man. For the teraphim speak iniquity, and the diviners see lying visions and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd. Where do you turn for your needs in life? When you have lost your job, or you can't pay your bills, what is your first response to the crisis? During the COVID-19 pandemic, many struggled deeply with the choice between protecting lives or livelihoods. To whom did you go for answers in that predicament? To the government, to friends, to family, your own resources, your own abilities, working harder and harder and harder? Well, Zechariah tells the people to go to God. Ask God. Seek God first, for he is the source of real prosperity. Rain, in this picture, is necessary for their crops to grow. And in an agricultural society like the people of Israel were living in, the people were totally dependent on rain for their material success. But God makes the rain. So the preacher calls the people to seek God as the answer to their needs. Go to God first. Not second, third, last. First, the people had been looking for prosperity in all the wrong places. They looked for answers in the idols and the fortune tellers of their day. God had specifically warned them against imitating the examples of the nations of this world in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verses 9 through 14. 
They were not to put their trust in the idols, the teraphim, the idols of national success, governmental success. They were not to put their trust in those idols. They were not to put their trust in the prophets of worldly prosperity. God tells the people that the comforts of this world are in vain. They are useless. The people were like sheep without a shepherd because they sought answers in all the wrong places. They sought false comfort in the lies and the promises of this world system, but found nothing but affliction and pain in the end. Friends, God tells us today that the world offers cold comfort in times of crisis. Oh, yes, it may seem nice at the time, but we will never find God's real prosperity in the world, even though we might enjoy being a millionaire. The world will not and cannot satisfy you. In the end, you will be empty. You will be sterile if you look for answers in the philosophies and the idolatries of this world. Ask God for answers. He is the source of real biblical prosperity, a prosperity which satisfies forever and not just for today. Our good shepherd also provides true leadership in verses 3 and 4. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the male goats. For the Lord of hosts has visited his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic horse in battle. From them will come the cornerstone, from them the tent peg, from them the bow of battle, from them every ruler, all of them together. (coughs) The people were being led astray by false shepherds. These were the leaders of the nation whom God will punish. Some historians have identified these late leaders as the pagan kings of the Seleucid Empire. But I think that's mistaken. I think they are the leaders of Israel, the prophets and the priests who were supposed to lead the nation to follow God. You see, we are so easily led astray like stupid sheep, by those political leaders who find their answers in worldly power instead of in God. Sheep are stupid. And bad leaders can lead sheep astray. When my brother and I were growing up in Pakistan, we had two sheep. We lived on the mission compound, where there was a cow, a flock of geese, chickens, and our two sheep. The property had once been a boy's home, something like our scouting program here in the United States. An old stone amphitheater stood on the property, which ran in a circle, with breaks every so often between the concrete seats. My brother and I used to run around the top and leap across these little open spaces, One day, our sheep started following us, and when they leaped across the opening, well, they didn't make it. 
both sheep injured themselves so seriously that they had to be put down. I really don't know who was more stupid, the sheep or we the leaders of the sheep. The point is that sheep without a shepherd will wander and die. They need to follow the right kind of leadership to be safe. But God will punish the false leaders who lead the sheep astray. Ezekiel 34 says the same message, gives us the same message. But God provides his true leader in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Zechariah 10.4 Literally, verse 4 of Zechariah 10 should read with the singular pronoun him, not them. The pronoun him refers back to the house of Judah in verse 3. The Messiah will come from him, Judah. Verse 4 is a messianic verse. It's a prophetic picture of the coming Messiah. And Zechariah uses three metaphors to describe God's true leader of Israel. First, the Messiah will be the cornerstone. This expression goes back to Isaiah 28, verse 16, where we read of Messiah, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. So trust in Christ, the Messiah, the cornerstone of the building, and you will not be disturbed by the circumstances of life. Second, the Messiah will be a tent peg. This is a rather curious messianic metaphor. There were two kinds of tent pegs used by the Israelites. One was inside the tent and used to hang item, items on, but the other tent peg was the stake that held the tent upright. The latter is in view in this metaphor. The point is one of stability and support. Messiah will uphold the people. He will be our support, our stability in life, like the tent peg that holds up the whole tent. Third, the Messiah will be the battle bow. The battle bow refers to the warlike powers of the Messiah who can defend and deliver his people from their enemies. The nation of Israel needed to know that Messiah would be their provider and their deliverer as the true shepherd of the sheep. No matter what you are going through today, my friends, you need to know that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He will be your provider. He will be your deliverer as well. Now, he does not promise to make you wealthy. He doesn't promise to make you famous. But he will care for you and provide your needs as you follow him in your life. Truth number three about our good shepherd is that the shepherd strengthens his sheep. He strengthens his sheep in verses five through seven. They will be as mighty men, treading down the enemy in the mire of the streets in battle. And they will fight, for the Lord will be with them, and the riders on horses will be put to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back, 
because I have had compassion on them, and they will be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Ephraim will be like a mighty man, and their heart will be glad as if from wine. Indeed, their children will see it and be glad. Their heart will rejoice in the Lord. The pronouns shift to the plural at the end of verse 4 and into verse 5. The preacher is now talking about what the good shepherd does for his people. He strengthens them for battle. Notice particularly verse 6 where God says, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back. The house of Judah is the southern kingdom, and the house of Joseph is the northern kingdom of Israel. God will one day reunite the two kingdoms into one nation again, and he will strengthen them and save them and bring them back to the land to live as his people in his kingdom. Why? Why will God do this? He says, because I had compassion on them. He loves them with a mighty and infinite love. The love of God compels him to strengthen and restore his people. Yes, God judges sin, but he does so reluctantly and with great grief. He delights to forgive. He delights to restore his people. He desires to strengthen and save his sheep. And God continues to explain his incredible grace by saying, They will be as though I had not rejected them. They, Israel, will be as though I had never rejected them. What a beautiful expression of God's restoring grace. Remember that in chapter 7, God had said that he would no longer listen to their cries because they had not listened to his commands. Listen to the words of Zechariah 7, verses 11 to 13, to refresh your memory. But they refused, he says, to pay attention. They refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. They made their hearts like flint so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. And just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. So, God scattered among the nations in exile. He scattered them with the storm wind of his judgment. But now, God says, I will answer them. And it will be as if I had never rejected them. And they had never rejected me. God offers the ultimate do-over a most extravagant mulligan, a chance to start fresh with God. What about you? What about you? Have you ever rejected God? Did you become angry with God at one point because he didn't meet your need the way you wanted? 
Were you ever so disappointed with God that you turned your back on him and determined to go your own way in life? Now, do you now feel abandoned by God? Do you feel rejected? Does God seem distant as if he no longer listens to your cries and your needs? My friends, please know this truth. Turn back to him now. Don't be afraid. If you repent, turn back to God. He will restore you, and it will be as if you never rejected him in the first place. He is that great a God that he can treat you as if he had never disciplined you for the sin. Remember that God disciplines those he loves, and he longs to restore you by his grace. You see, God holds no grudges. God never throws our failures back in our faces. When we fail, God never says, Well, you did it again. Remember when you blew it five years ago. I haven't forgotten how you failed me then. No, a thousand times no. No, God does not do this. With God, when sin is forgiven, it's forgotten. The fact that God forgets our sin, it doesn't mean that he experiences a lobotomy and is no longer omniscient. It means that he no longer holds that sin against us. It is dealt with. He lets it go. And we enjoy a relationship with him just as if we had never blown it in the first place. Isn't that beautiful? What grace, what love of God. My friends, I don't know about you, but I find that truth so encouraging in my Christian life. We desperately need to understand the nature of God's forgiveness if we are going to have victory in our spiritual lives. I find so many Christians living defeated lives because they cannot accept God's forgiveness. They've done something they think is unforgivable. I hope you are not living in misery today because you cannot forgive yourself for something that God has already forgiven you for. You can't let it go so you can't accept his grace. You are living in the past with all its failures. Please, please accept God's forgiveness and learn the freedom of God's grace. You can never pay for what you have done, neither can I. But you have not done anything so great that God's grace is not greater still. Accept his forgiveness and be released from the past, which is holding you in prison. Don't let the past control your future, my friends. Please know this truth. The shepherd restores his sheep. The shepherd restores his sheep in verses 8 through 12. Dr. John Davis says that he has witnessed on many occasions where two shepherds will approach a large flock of sheep in the open fields. One shepherd will start to walk away from the flocks and give an ear-splitting high-pitched cry. The sheep will leave the large flock and begin to follow their shepherd. Each shepherd has his own cry, 
his own sound that his sheep know and will follow. Now listen to Zechariah 10, verse 8. God says, I will whistle for them to gather them together. I will whistle for them, for I have redeemed them, and they will be as numerous as they were before. Verse 8 is very picturesque because it speaks of Jesus Christ giving a whistle, and all his sheep will gather together. Why? Because he has redeemed them. He has bought them back from captivity with his own blood. Jesus said priceless words in his explanation of the good shepherd in John 10, verses 14 to 16. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold, but I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock, with one shepherd. Friends, we are the other sheep who are not of this fold, the fold of Israel. Christ is the good shepherd for all of us. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him, and he gives us eternal life. Christ said a few verses later in John 10, that no one is able to snatch them out of his hand or the Father's hand, John 10, 28 and 29. No one is able to snatch them out of his hand. Christ is our good shepherd, but he also shepherds the fold of Israel. And he promised to restore his sheepfold of Israel in Zechariah 10, verses 9 through 12. When I scatter them among the peoples, they will remember me in far countries, and they, with their children, will live and come back. I will bring them back from the land of Egypt, and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, until no room can be found for them. And they will pass through the sea of distress, and he will strike the waves in the sea, so that all the depths of the Nile will dry up, and the pride of Assyria will be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt will depart. And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. These verses picture a time when Israel having been scattered throughout the nations of this world, will one day be regathered to the land by their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 9 even tells us that they will remember him in the countries where they have been scattered and be ready when he calls them back to the land of promise. It is the good shepherd of Israel who will one day bring them back to the land and be their shepherd once again. Now, some have suggested that this is a reference to the return to the land from the Babylonian exile. However, it's very important to remember the date when Zechariah prophesied. Zechariah is making this prophecy. He lived after the people had already returned from the Babylonian captivity. So this cannot be a prediction of the exiles returning to the land back then in past history. It must refer to the fact that there will be another scattering, which we learn about in the next chapter of Zechariah, 
and another regathering which has not yet taken place in history. Despite the fact that Israel has returned to the land in our times, we do not yet know if this is preparation for that final regathering or not. It could be. It could be. If so, then our Lord is soon to return because their Messiah is also our Savior. Whatever the case might be, the Good Shepherd will one day regather his sheep into his land, and they will live in security and prosperity. I take these prophecies of Zechariah to refer to what we have called the Millennial Kingdom, a 1,000-year reign of Christ upon this earth. I believe that Jesus Christ will return to this earth and set up his kingdom of perfect justice in this world. He will reign from Jerusalem over the entire world. This is the hope of Israel today. And that hope burns brighter and brighter. The more scattered, the more oppressed they become. They must cling to that hope in Messiah, even as we must cling to our hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the good shepherd who gathers the sheep from the fold of Israel and the sheep who are not from the fold of Israel, us, into one flock. This is the hope of the church today. The message of this beautiful poetic expression of Zechariah is really very simple. The Lord is our shepherd. Four truths about that message are shared in this prophecy. One, our good shepherd delivers us. Two, our good shepherd provides for us. Three, our good shepherd strengthens us. And four, our good shepherd restores us. The Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside quiet waters. He restores our souls and guides us in the paths of righteousness. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. Our cups overflow. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall live in the house of the Lord forever.